0: Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more, because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Can you turn with me to the book of uh, of Matthew, please? Matthew, chapter 4. And um, if you if you were with us last week, we we've been doing sort of a, like a new collection of talks, and um, and what we're gonna step into for the next couple of weeks is is sort of like what it, what does it mean to to have the, like certain enemies of our soul because we all have enemies, um, but but I'm talking about the spiritual enemies, and so we're gonna hit on like the devil, the flesh, and, and the world, and um, and whenever whenever we're like I, I, I Share on stuff like this. For some reason, I know. I, I know it sounds over spiritual, but just today was just crazy. This morning, the whole day, from home to here, but uh, but we're here, and I just really believe that if it's just for one person in this room that needs to hear this, then this is for you. Um, I just believe there's more in the room that need to hear this. Um, so, so the talk, my my my, my talk today is. Um, Looking at this really quick. I want to talk about um, truth about lies. Okay? So, truth about lies. There's a lot of lies going on in the world, and, and, and we'll, we'll see in Scripture uh, the lies. So, actually, I'm in the book of John. Sorry. So, turn over to the right, just a couple more Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm going to be reading uh, chapter 8, starting at verse 31. You guys bring your Bibles I heard someone uh, someone told me this week oh, we got our Bibles I'm like yes bring them to church and let's open them up tangibly right mark them up let's get back to that let's turn the lights up yeah if we need the lights up can we turn them up a little bit Emma Could you turn the lights up so we can read it okay I'm in I'm in John chapter 8 starting at verse 31 And it says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, watch this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answer. They're getting upset with him now. Remember, they're Jews and Abraham is the father of all fathers, right? If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself, and then here it is. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You, here it is, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, the devil, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Did you catch that? He's the father of lies. I wanna go on like a a philosophical rant here, so give me me a second. Um, Here's a question for all of us. What what is truth? Have you ever thought about that? It'll take you down like a a rabbit hole, right? The best definition I know of truth is this, reality or that which corresponds to reality. Basically, truth is what we can rely on as real. So the table in front of me, the microphone that I'm speaking out of, the air that you and I are breathing is reality. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is reality. You might disagree with that, but. A little on that in in a bit, right? Here's another way of looking at reality reality is what you run into when you're wrong. (laughs) So let me give you a really good example. (laughs) If I say, I used to watch Space Jam when I was little, and I love that song, I Believe I Can Fly, I Believe I Can Touch the Sky. Have you heard it? I Think About It Every Night and Day. That one. So if I, was, if I was to go to the 71 freeway here, or better yet, if I was to drive down the 60 and the junction there where, where the 15 is, the highest point, and I got up there, started singing the song and said, you know what, I can fly today, actually. And I jumped off, what would happen? Truth would hit reality really fast. And I would be wrong. And I would die, right? So when we call something a lie Watch this. What we mean is it doesn't it doesn't correspond to reality. That's what a lie is. For example, my brother and I, Zach, he's in the room. Zach, wave your hand, man, so people can see. That's my brother Zach. Six years older than me. He's Ivan Drago to Rocky Balboa. Right? <laughs> and I remember six years older, I mean he's like six three. We used to fight all the time. And when mom and dad were gone, we would fight and fight and holes would get in the wall, and it was just and then and then And then mom and dad would come home. Mom, Zach hit me. Like Zach, like you know, he hit me. He punched me. He did something. And Zach's like, No, I didn't, right? And it's like, No, yeah, you did. You're lying, right? Well, I was basically saying your claim, Zach, doesn't correspond to reality, right? Sorry, Zach. I just always have to use you, man. (laughs) So, so truth, truth is reality, then, right? And lies are unreality we live by what psychologists let me just go here for a moment psychologists call mental maps of reality I don't know if you've heard that language let me explain that because I'm gonna be using that for a moment neurobiologists talk about how the human mind is wired for story our mind neurobiologists say is wired for story sociologists talk about worldview and disciples of Jesus talk about faith. Different terminology, but in a lot of ways, the same idea. So example of mental maps is this. When I get in my car and I'm ready to go home from work, um, I have a mental map on how to get home. I drive out, I make a left on Roswell here, right? I make a right on, on uh, what's that, Grand? Uh, Chino Hills Parkway eventually turns into, right? I think so, Grand right here. Make a right, and then I make a quick left on the 71 freeway, and I'm driving, driving, I I pass Chino Hills High School, I pass Pine, and then I get off on Butterfield Ranch, and I make a right off, and then a quick left, and I go down, and that will eventually turn into Euclid, and then I make a right on Pine, which turns into Schleisman, and then I pass the bridge, the church, the bridge, I keep going, and I see to my right, the women's prison, by the way, which is terrifying. Like, that's crazy, right? We don't even know it's there. And then to my left, the church, the bridge, and I keep going, and then I find Archibald, I make a left, I go a little bit further, and I make another left on 65th Street, and I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty close to home. I don't wanna tell you exactly how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the, so, so, you have a mental map from work how to get home, don't you? You can look at it and and find it you can you have a mental map in your brain on how to get there and watch this you also have mental maps on money you have a mental map on how you use your money how you negotiate with money on how you give money how you receive money i have a mental map as soon as it comes in the the checking account it goes to god what's god is god that's my mental map I have a mental map, like, I mean, Kelly, Kelly and I talk about this a lot, whenever I feel like someone doesn't have, I just wanna give so bad. And I believe I have the gift of giving, because here's why I don't think everyone thinks this way, because I've come to find out n- not everyone does. I always say, God, if you bless me with more, I'll give more to other people. Like, I really believe that. Like, God, if you, if you have your hand upon my business or upon whatever I'm doing, and you bless me, I'm gonna give more to people, and that's my prayer to God. Some of us don't have that, that's okay. That, it can be a gift, but it also needs to be a discipline. We ought to be people that give freely to one another. But you have a mental map on money. You have a mental map on relationships, by the way. What happens when things go off wrong, when someone offends you? Oh, you got a mental map on how you approach that and how you negotiate with that. Do you cut them out of your life? See you later, I don't want anything to do with you. Or do you embrace them? Do you, do you bring, are you a minister of reconciliation in their life, right? Are you a gossiper? Do you just like talking about people in front of when they're not in the room? We have, we have mental maps on relationships and then I'm really gonna hit on this today. We have mental maps on sexuality, on, on how you perceive sexuality. Is it man and woman only in a marriage, right? Can, can I fall out of my gender and reframe to another gender? Um, what, what does marriage look like in sexuality what does sex look like outside of marriage oh and, and then in, in marriage you have a mental map in that and i know we don't like to talk about that at church but we're going to change that right because we need to talk about those things these maps are made of collections of ideas okay so the philosopher and theologian dallas willard said quote ideas are assumptions about reality Ideas are assumptions about reality. We are, by the way, the only creatures or humans, we are the only ones that have the capacity in this world, in this life, to imagine what is not. Like my dog Izzy can't do that, right? She's primal. She just wants her desires and her needs, right? And. like we're the only ones that have the capacity to dream and to imagine and to look but there's a negative side to this there's a negative side to unreality which is the capacity to believe a a lie or an illusion okay then there's a positive side of this which is the capacity to imagine to dream I love talking about that man I love dreaming and thinking and processing and seeing what what might not be could be one day so Ivana making these bracelets. She had an idea. I'm going to start making bracelets and then it became a business and then people from like all over the, the country are like getting bracelets from her. That just didn't come because she just had a good idea. No, that, she's participating with the divine in that moment, if I'm being honest, because we were created by a creator to create, to imagine, to dream, and to put what's in our mind, the logos, the thought, the idea into action. So check this out, I know I'm getting really philosophical, but just, just go with me there. We're, we're actually, I'm standing on a dream right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in some, I'm living in a dream of whatever you believe about the forefathers, they, they were over religious, um, like withholding, and so they said, we're gonna go, and yes, the, there was already inhabitants here, yes, but they came and they said, we're gonna create a freedom of religion Freedom of speech, I, I am in the Founding Fathers like dream, reality, to be able to preach the gospel and not go to jail, right? Freedom of speech, and, and then if I can take it another step forward, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, right, he said, I, I have a dream that man wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of what? Their character, who was a Christian baptist preacher by the way martin luther king jr so when you go and get food here in chino hills after and and you might say yeah but that dream was was yeah there's a lot of work we still need to do in that but i get to go sit down and have have lunch and the jim crow like all of that stuff is gone i can sit down with a a brother or sister and they can sit with me and we can eat together and enjoy each other That's a dream that we're living into somebody's reality and dream, and that's their imagination that like kinda, does that make sense? I know I'm getting real philosophical here, but we're, that's crazy to me that we have the capacity to do that, right? This is what enables the genius of human society, by the way. Here's the problem, though. Our capacity to hold unreality in our minds is our genius, because we have the mind of Christ, but it's also our Achilles heel. You know what I mean by that? Achilles heel, right? In war, if someone like, cuts your Achilles heel, you're done. It's like good luck, you can't fight, you're done, right? So we all have like an Achilles heel, and our Achilles heel in this conversation is because not only can we imagine unreality, we can also come to believe in it. We can believe in unreality, a lie, and an illusion. We can actually believe it so much that it's not real, but it's, we're, we're like, oh no, this is real, this is real, this is real, 100%. We can put our faith into ideas that are so untrue or worse, lies. So when we believe lies, which are ideas that are not congruent with the reality of God's wise and loving design for you and I, when we believe those lies, then tragically, we open our bodies to those lies and then we let them into our muscle memories and we allow an ideological cancer to take place. And it infects our souls, okay? So you allow an ideological, it's just a thought, man. It's just a, it's a lie. But you can believe it so much that it becomes a part of your life, that you live in it, you breathe it, and then you wake up one day and it, it is true now. So I'm gonna bring up an example, and this came from John Mark Comer, so don't get upset with me, get upset with him. Um, and I never ever say like from here, hey, read this book, but like I, I, would, argue, like, I would really encourage you if you wanna go deeper into just understanding this stuff. This is all biblical, it's beautiful. Um, I just would encourage you to get this book and read it. Listen to the Audible, and like I said, after you finish it, let's get coffee and talk about it. So I'm gonna go somewhere here that I've never talked about before, so... Um, this is just what the scripture says and Comer hits on this really well, but you see, we're, we're there's a moral question in our generation and it's against and it's about human sexuality. It's like the biggest question right now, right? So please bear with me, I'm not a politician, I'm a pastor devoted to the teachings of Jesus and, um, and also who lives in 2022 in this cultural moment, right? We all are. I'm by no means trying to come at anyone here by saying this, I'm simply knowing that it's a, t- it's a touchy subject, but it's on the premise of lies. Um, and, and see the illusion and where it became, I, I just wanna show you this. So again, I'm getting this from Comer's book. So he talks about the sexual revolution. Okay, we're gonna go there for a moment, you guys good? The sex revolution, which started in the 1960s and it set in motion a massive chain of events in the 1960s. The reversal of the long-standing moral understanding around promiscuity, which separated sex from marriage. That's how it started. And it worked with the start of birth control and the legalization of abortion. That's how it started in 1960s, sex revolution, which separated sex then from procreation which moved on to the legalization of no-fault divorce. You can get divorced, it's no big deal. You don't, irreconceivable differences, it's all good. Which turned into a covenant marriage between God as a vow into contract, right? So when you get married, it's a covenant. It's not a contract. You don't get to hop out whenever you want. That's not what the scripture says. It's a covenant of two people coming together under the, the covering of God, and it's, it's a joint relationship that is, it's, it's covenant before God. It's a big deal. It's serious stuff. It's not a contract. Like, uh, you didn't like, agree to the term, so see you later. So between God as a vow into a contract and separated sex from intimacy and fidelity, then to Tinder and hookup culture, which separated sex from romance and turned it into a way to get your needs met. From there, the sex revolution moved on to the LGBTQI plus revolution, which separated sex from the male-female relation. Then the current transgender wave, which is an attempt to separate gender from biological sex. I know, sorry, we're going there. Then, I'm literally going to say this wrong, so forgive me. Polyamory polyamory movement, which is multiple partners. So polygamy is when you're married, multiple partners. And then there's P-O-L-Y-A-M-O-R-Y. I don't know how to say that. Polyamory, thank you. (laughs) So amid this revolution, the question nobody seemed to be asking was, is this making us better people? Is this making us more loving people or even happier people? Are we thriving in a way we weren't prior to our liberation? These questions or answers to them are just assumed, by the way. Remember, ideas are assumptions about reality. But consider a few data points, and I know we're Americans, we love data points and statistics, but let's just go there for a moment. If you wanna know where I'm getting this, you can ask me after and um, I can give you all of the data on this from where I've got this again it got it from this book but he has all of his like uh, works cited or bibliography at the end so here, here they are here's the data points happiness levels have been in decline since interestingly enough the 1960s and you have to admit it's pretty interesting hmm when considering attachment theory divorce is a traumatic event for all children could we agree to that like divorce it just is painful for the little one God says in his word I detest it he hates divorce why because of the little ones what it does to them so a divorce is traumatic for all ages and we're continuing to learn it's directly tied to the rising number of people struggling to develop intimate healthy relationships in adulthood Let me just say that again, okay? So basically the studies are showing that if you've been a byproduct of divorce and you were a child, God can turn anything around, but statistics are saying that it's going to be difficult to get into intimate relationship and for it to be healthy when you're in adulthood. And by the way, one of the jobs I'm doing right now is talking to men on the verge of a divorce and that's all I hear. Tell me about mom and dad. Oh, they got divorced. Like nine times out of 10. And the brokenness and the pain and the sexual abuse and all of the stuff that's happened around the little children started because mom and dad couldn't work it out. And I get it, I wanna be honoring here, like it's hard, it's difficult. We live in a broken world, but divorce, it does this, right? So divorce, when cited as an example of liberation from the patriarchy, by the way, has been shown to disproportionately benefit men. Can I explain that? <laughs> divorce, which was, this is the revolution, Let, let's like get away from the patriarchy, get away from the man as the leader of the home type of structure, we don't want anything to do with the men type of thing. And then it actually benefited the men because what happens when divorce, we know this, we see it, I see you. The single moms have to take care of the little ones now. And the guys are gone, see you later, man. There's no responsibility for the man anymore. And it's like, that's scary because, well, then we want the government to be our mom and dad, and that's not going to work. We see that. Am I hitting on some strands so I just we're going to go there. Are you guys good? Yeah. So or those who live together before marriage are less likely to marry, and if you do marry which I, I know some of you yes, I love that. You got married? And more likely, though, to get divorced if they do get married when they were cohabitating together and then they got married, why? Because they often develop long-term trust issues, right? When I wanted to marry Kelly, I straight up told her mom, Teresa, Which she's, I don't know if she's here or over there, hey, I'm, I'm ready. I was 21 years old, I'm ready to marry your daughter and be committed to her. And one of the refutes was, why don't you just live together first and try it out? Sorry, that I'm not, we're not gonna do that because I wanted Kelly to know I'm fully committed to her. I don't care if I'm 21 years old, I'm fully committed, I'm in. Because I I saw it from the scriptures. I saw it from my own family. I saw it in the world around me. We have to be committed to each other for marriage, right? It's a big deal. Or the two, check this out, this is crazy, the two chemicals released by your body during sex that bring a deeper bond to another person, research shows that the more sexual partners you have, the less capacity your body has for intimacy. So there's like two things that go off in your brain chemically when you're participating with sex and partners and then you get married, you wanna devote yourself, but you're having an issue with what's going on there. There's not like, this, like, ah oh, man, like I'm hitting a wall like with intimacy here, right? or that 25% of children spend a portion of their childhood without a father in the home, to which I'm, I'm, I'm heavily dedicated to saying, and t- how do we shift that, how do we change that? Showing the brokenness and overwhelming pain that brings to boys and girls, because dad's not home, or he's just really unhealthy, or the stats on the epidemic of sexual addiction across the West. I would be blown away to take an honest, true poll here in this room on how many men in the room or women struggle with pornography. I'd be really curious. It's, it's an epidemic, man. The sex revolution, we're byproducts of something going on and you can't tell me there's not a devil out there creating, uh, ha- creating havoc and chaos in your and my soul. You can't tell me that, it's not true. Porn is becoming increasingly violent and cruel and is now a multi-billion dollar industry. Watch this, targeting children. Never mind that while the Me Too movement was dominating headlines, the 50 Shades of Grey trilogy, which is a story about a male sexual domination, was becoming the highest selling book series of the decade and one of the highest film franchises of all time. It's like, oh man. I'm sorry if I'm coming to like your home right now, but I just, it's like, we have to, like. do we see this? Do we see what's going on here? What about sexual abuse and sexual assault and how it's getting worse, not better? Statistically, one out of every four women could, and I'll say this like this, could potentially, possibly experience sexual violence to some degree at some point in their lives. One in four w- women. That's why like, there's this place right here I'm taking, uh, Lenya too. As soon as she's old enough, she's gonna learn like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Krav Maga, you know. It's like go for the kill, man. You know. <laughs> Sorry, no. I shouldn't have said that. Like, you, you know what I mean? We're we're people of nonviolence. We're people of nonviolence. Or, or check this out. Or that rape culture is a raging problem even one of the most liberal progressive campuses of elite universities they experienced this on so these facts are left out of the conversation and by the way this doesn't anger me i'm way beyond that this saddens me now deeply deeply saddens me keep in mind what we call traditions traditional values were all radical when jesus first introduced them They were eventually adopted, by the way, as the norm because they were based on a highly sophisticated and deeply wise view of human nature, and frankly, because they work, because Jesus came up with them, with the traditional values. There's beauty in that. You have to do your due diligence and see where did this come from. They were eventually adopted as the norm because they were based on this, right? Okay, so deep breath, you guys good? No, this is a lot, okay? Let's look at this scripture again then. John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and he's the father of lies, right? Willard said, ideas are a primary stronghold of evil in the human self and in society, your ideas. Okay, And then Evagoras Ponticus, who is like the ultra-spiritual guy we talked about last time, he claimed that ideas are spiritual entities that enslave our souls. That's like really strong language. The ideas could be like literally demonic forces coming against you that if you feed into them will create chaos for your soul. Ideas, not political tyrants or Trump or Biden, Right? or ev- like, not even evil, powerful men. Ideas, ideas, church. This is why America can't win a war on terror. Like Jihad is an ideology now, have you seen that? You can't fight ideology with a tank. When you attempt to, you just put gas on the fire. So we're no longer in a war of guns, but a war of ideas. See what the father of lies is up to here. Watch this, notice Jesus is genius, teaching the transcendence far beyond his time. So if Jesus knew, which is why, by the way, they wanted him to pick up his sword and and take down the Roman Empire, Jesus knew, no, that's not how it's gonna work. It starts with an idea, it starts with the lie, it starts with the father of lies. So I'm gonna combat the kingdom of evil with my spirit with my goodness, with life, with the truth, because if you know the truth, the truth will set you, you free. So this is like so genius to me from Jesus, but of course he's God, so like absolutely he would do this, right? This is, this is why my friends, Jesus came as a teacher, as a rabbi. What is a teacher? A truth teller. Teachers give mental maps to reality. And when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he was also saying that we're enslaved by lies. Many of us, by lies we're enslaved. So Jesus has come what? To set the captives free. Did you know that? Jesus has come to liberate us from the weapon of truth. This is how Jesus was able to overcome the devil without the use of violence. Did you know that MLK Junior, if anyone that wanted to join his team, they would have to basically do an application and sign that they would not be violent. Do you know that? Crazy, because he was following the teachings of Jesus. But then there's a whole other side of that where it was like, no, let's wage war with violence, right? Look at the conversation Jesus has with Pontius Pilate. We're almost done here. John 18, 36 to 38 says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Pontius says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then again, the famous question, what is truth? Jesus just gives us the answer. When you study the scriptures and you look at it, with, the, with, the, with the, you go on the balcony and you see what's going on, he literally says, I am truth and I will set you free. So don't listen to the lies, listen to the truth. And don't allow the lies to soak deceive you because the culture is saying to do it. And I know that's hard, I, I really do. I'm not here to try to speak against something in, in, an, in, a, in a hateful manner. I'm saddened by what's going on in our culture. And there has to be a shift in us as people of love that show truth, right? So Jesus made a powerful claim when he said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, I've come from the Father to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. Light here, when he said that, is a metaphor for illumination over ignorance. Think about that. I've come to create illumination over ignorance. I've come to shed light on all that is evil and all that is dark and all that are lies. I've come to bring light into those things. So most of the lies we face don't make news headlines we know that in our own personal lives it's the grown man who is scolded criticized by his father and comes to believe i am only as good as i am successful at work you hear that lie it's the teenage girl who compares herself to the mirage of instagram that comes to believe i am ugly and unworthy of love it's the entrepreneur whose prior business Failed after the betrayal of his partner and who now believes quote everything I do will fail or I can trust no one it's the middle-aged woman who was raised by an angry perfect, perfectionistic mother and decades later still believes I have to be perfect to have peace let's be honest with the room here there is not a soul we know who is not living in at some level bondage to lies, at some level. Like, when I sit down and, and talk, and, and, and I love building relationships, but then when I see like, when, when the enemy really like comes at what we're doing, or just my family or me, I, I start to see like, oh my gosh, this is all built around lies. Dang, it was just a lie that manifested itself, yeah. He's the father of lies. He came in the garden to speak a lie. And now we, we live with the ramifications of that. And again, like he, the devil, is the prince of this world. Do you hear that? He's the prince of this world. And so if we're not on guard, Ephesians 6, if we do not put on our armor, right, and realize who we are in Christ and stand firm in our identity as sons and daughters we're gonna get knocked out really fast and so for me I I, I just I just gotta stand firm today was so bad if I was in my emotions I would have been like someone else got to preach please honestly I'm just being real I I shouldn't come up it's just so bad today It was so crazy There's so much going on. I I can't do it, I can't do it. I just should have stepped away and said no, but no, I'm gonna stand in my identity in Christ. And and my friends, I I want that for you. I want that for you so bad if I could just go and change all those thoughts and push them out and say no, 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 stop living like that. Stop believing those things. Stop stepping into those areas. Like, listen to what Jesus says and do that, but know Jesus, so spend time with him throughout the week. Pray, read, fast, build disciplines, but first know you're loved. The two greatest commandments, love my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love my neighbor. But we cannot say, my gosh, I get so angry, righteously, and then say, God, give me peace. We We can't say, I love you, and then it's just words it's like I I know I'm like ultra charismatic sometimes and I'm ultra spiritual, but I, I want God to move in our lives. I really do. But I'm realizing and discovering the body has to operate out of love. That's when he does his greatest work on us. But if we're deceived by lies, if we live into those lies, if we fall into those lies, if we act in those lies, then we're not waging war with the enemy. We're waging war with our brothers and sisters. Or we're waging wars with politicians. So Jesus, he would regularly call his his apprentices, right, disciples to repent and believe in the good news. He did that all the time. To repent and believe means to rethink your mental maps of what you think will lead you to a happy, Zoe life, abundant life. So rethink those maps and trust in the way the truth of Jesus, right? So here's your homework. You have homework, by the way, if you want to take it or not. Um, And for some of you that can't see on the screen, I'm going to move out of the way. If you open up church.org. Kelly, shout out to Kelly, last night, she put up on their website, if you go on the tab, on the up left, see those like three line tab, and then you click homework, we have, we have questions for you to digest throughout this week. In your journal time. Yeah, that's shout out to Kelly, she did that. You guys are funny. So I, I wanna I want challenge you to, to, to do this with somebody. Um, to write these questions down, to do them in your journal time, to take them before God, and then to sit with a trusted friend and work through them with somebody. And um, I'm just gonna challenge you. (laughs) Do you really, really, really love Jesus? Do you really love him? Like ah, we, We need to get there. And all this stuff, by the way, the lies, that all ceases we start knowing who he is. We know how he thinks and how he processes. I want you to get to such closeness with God to where you know if you're gonna sin or not. Honestly. It's like, oh, if I do this, I'm gonna sin, actually. Not gonna do that. I'm gonna stay over here. Because what happens is people do things and you're sinning and then you don't know you're sinning and then I have to talk to you about that you sinned and then you get mad at me. But it's like, if, if we would just know this, then we wouldn't have to do that. Just read your Bibles. Please know the word and the, the, the truth, it will set you free, my friends. I'm not I'm not trying to, to, to like bring any conviction or, or, or shame. Shame is a lie, by the way. Shame is, did you know shame is un, it's it's an illusion? Did you know that? Shame is an illusion. <laughs> conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. But when you're ashamed of something, it's It might have happened, but you have the righteousness, the the plate of righteousness on, you're not your own anymore. (laughs) When you have the, the plate of righteousness, you are forgiven, you're sealed, you're set free, you're a part of the family of God, so don't walk around in shame anymore. You have the righteousness on you from Christ himself who is the head of this church, who's the head of your life, of your family. So put that on, man. And then last one, the sword. I learned this from my professor. I'm like, wow, that's so good, I have to say. The sword is not a long sword, it's a tiny one. For, not for offense, for defense, because we already won the battle. So when Jesus was in the desert, he pulled out his sword and it was small. And what was the sword, the word? It was the word. He didn't have to go at the end. No, he just got close enough because the enemy will get close enough to your mind, your thoughts, your body, your life, your family, and you have to pull the truth out and let him know who's in charge. Let him know what God says about you and your family and your life and all of the things. Yeah, I might have did that. That shame that comes from the enemy. I now have the righteousness of Jesus in me. I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm set free. Now, Now, friend, honestly, you have the righteousness, now live out of it, live out of that righteousness. Don't be legalistic, live out of right standing, and also right living, please. Right living and right standing, but knowing who you are in Him. Does that sound good? I know I went over, but I just wanted to share this with you. This is really heavy take it to the Lord if you disagree honestly um, I, I know there's some opinion in this I get that there's some research and study and I just I just want to show that if we just if we go on the lie lie if we go on the lie line it's just gonna take us down really fast dark broken places so I want you to step into God's truth because his word is powerful and it's living. we stand with me as we finish for your word God that's just it's just truth to the world it seems foolish God but to us God it is we we have to eat it we don't want to live on on just bread alone God but on every word that comes from your mouth we want to know you at an intimate level so that we can do good works for you God so I pray right now Jesus for your people for your sons and daughters that you would fill them with your love and your goodness that you would lead them into righteousness and right standing that God that we would all just come clean and live in your freedom not live in bondage, not live in lies. I speak against any demon right now that comes against any family member, any son or daughter, any husband or father, any mother or wife. I speak against any demonic oppression that would say, speak lies, that would speak lies to them, God. Protect them, Jesus, with a hedge of protection like you gave to Job. I pray a hedge of protection over their family, But truly, God, I pray that they would put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. I'm saved. I'm set free. I get to stand in my identity in you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray,